We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fellas, listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to I like Collins a lot. He's very reminiscent of Anthony Barr coming out of UCLA. And... I say that just because he has versatility as far as an edge rusher, but I think where he's able to line up, whether it's Sam, linebacker, Mike, or even Will, I think he can play either of those, those three spots. Now, I feel a little bit more comfortable with him as Sam linebacker just because you don't want him making those decisions in the middle a whole bunch just because I think he's a little bit better when he can be on the strong or the weak side of the formation. But the name of his game is versatility. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was Jordan Reed of the Draft Network talking up prospect, uh, about a prospect that's piqued the interest of Bill's fans, Tulsa's Zavin Collins. Folks, crack a fresh one. The most aggressive week of podcasting I think we've ever done in terms of recording, editing. Chris, I think we're up to the task. What do you think? I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I got to work tonight, so there's no drinking for me. Chris's new work schedule doesn't allow him to drink during, I'd say, 70% of our podcast recordings. Yeah. Going forward? Yeah. It's I, hilarious. I got to be to work at 11 p.m. on Mondays and Tuesdays. For those of, And for those of you who... <laughs> <laughs> who are enjoying the conversation revolving around Chris and I are uh, just just our bubble boy uh, type of behavior, how we should just be wrapped in bubble tape and stuck in a closet somewhere. Uh, Chris has an update on his mouth. I had no choice but to burst out laughing at him when I got here to his apartment to start recording. Chris, how you feeling? I feel all right. I mean, I had surgery on Friday, oral surgery. So, you know, if you've been listening to the show long enough you know over the last like five six weeks i haven't really been able to open my mouth but two wisdom teeth infected one growing in sideways pushing in front on the molar in front of it cracked that molar so i had to get two wisdom teeth and a molar out the other wisdom teeth was in the process of doing the same thing to the other molar 
but kind of caught it in time. I'm going to have a root canal next month <laughs> to fix that. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Here's, here's what I love. I walk into his bathroom and I see socket gel on the counter. Like, yeah. what a time to be alive. Like, where was that when I had my wisdom teeth taken out at the age of, like, 16? Yeah, that's the, I guess, help prevent uh, dry socket. I mean, I've had one wisdom tooth out before, and I didn't get dry socket, but I went in for surgery at uh, Niagara Dental Implant and Oral Surgery in uh, Williamsville. Are they paying you for that? Because if not, that's a free plug, and we're going to have to talk about that. No, because, I mean, it's eventually a plug for don't go there. <laughs> because I went to I went to Stellar Dental to when all this started, and they were like, oh, the, the wisdom, one of the wisdom tooth that's pushing up against the molar, you know, like the nerves are real close together, and we feel like it'd be better if you just went to an oral surgeon, and we'll refer to you. Great. They referred me, but just never bothered to send any of my x-rays, my file over to Niagara. So I called, like, it took like a week and a half to get that together because the oral surgeon had to call Stellar, like, can you just give me this guy's file since you don't want to do your work? Chris, these are all minuscule complaints. I mean, these are very busy individuals who have a lot of things, a lot of important dentist stuff to do. I mean, yeah. People wonder why I despise doctors and dentists pretty much on the whole. I mean, not Dr. Uh, not, uh, Sean Siraki. Not yeah. you, sir. But <laughs> not you, you fantastic son of a bitch. But most of, most medical professionals are a pain in my ass. And here's why. They always think they know more than you. It's like, listen, I get that. I get that sometimes you have some real dummies who walk through the door and they're going to say some non- some crazy nonsense. And you have to disregard what they're saying because you're a professional and you've studied for years. But if someone comes to you and they're telling you, this is my problem, I've researched it, I, I'm pretty confident in this diagnosis, I've talked to people who work in the field, you need to listen to me at least, at least give me 30%. If you can't do that, we're going to have problems. I'm just glad that your ordeal is almost over. Yeah, the, uh, well, when I went to surgery on Friday... I went into surgery already having two emails and two text messages to rate and review my experience with them. Before, before you actually be- had... The- yeah, before I even set foot in the goddamn building. So... That sounds about so right. So your five-star rating that you want has already diminished because, you know, you're blowing up my email and phone for a review. Then when I got into the uh, the chair on Friday and I kind of met with the surgeon, any phone conversation I had with the surgeon... Prior, I was like, hey, I can't open my mouth. I can only open my mouth this wide. So I'm sitting in the chair, and he's like, all right, open your mouth. And I open it, and he's like, that's it? And I said, yeah. I told you on the phone multiple times I can barely open my mouth. Did you not believe me, sir? Yeah, so he had he, – you could f- barely fit a finger in my mouth. So he's <laughs> – sounds great. He's fingering my mouth. And he's pressing around my jaw and, like, gum line. He's like, does this hurt? Does that hurt? What about that? I'm like, no, no, no. And he is baffled why I can't open my mouth. And I said, I haven't been able to open my mouth for, like, four to five weeks because of this issue with my teeth. And he goes, no, 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 that's, that's not it. That's not it. I think you you did something to your jaw muscle. And he, like, starts referring me to somebody that, like, does like jaw work or could uh, like almost like the Kyle Trimble of jaw work, <laughs> physical therapy for my jaw. I'm like, no. And he's like, 
No, Doc, I have a good authority yeah, that I, I know what my problem is, and you're going to fix my shit before I lose yeah, my I, shit right here in the office. I said, I'm gonna, you're going to take these teeth out of my skull, and then I'm going to be able to open my mouth. And he's like, no, no, you should, you should look into doing, like, jaw physical therapy. I'm like, no. This... So that was the other reason why they – I gave him two stars on Google if you guys want to go go look that up. But <laughs> you're telling me that – And guess what? They took the teeth out. Yeah, and I can open my works? mouth. I opened my mouth. Oh, yeah. my God. Don't ever use Niagara Dental and Oral because I have like a phobia of like – of the dentist. Like a legit – like I hate – the dentist office, and like I took my girlfriend works in healthcare, and I told her it's like if you were like a dental hygienist, like I wouldn't go out with you. You're an anti dentite. Yes, a raving anti dentite. <laughs> hey, Chris, look at me. You're not the only one here. <laughs> well, you know what? The other thing I saw when I was sitting in the in the chair, I was like looked over on the wall, and they had like uh, all like the common like issues you could have with your teeth. None of the diagrams look like your teeth. <laughs> One of a kind, sir. God broke the mold when he made this guy. Yeah. Oh. Well, I'm glad you're back with us, Chris. I'm glad you're back among those who can talk and eat, although it was nice not having to buy pizza for the podcast. Not having to stop at the pizzeria and pick anything up because you couldn't eat anything. That was actually kind of nice. Well, it's kind of an unwritten rule. You get pizza and I collect the beer tab. See, folks, we know our responsibilities. We delegate well on this podcast. Now, if we, now, if I could ever just stay next to the microphone, someone out there might confuse us for professionals. We are here tonight to talk about the 2021 class of linebackers. And as we always do, we start with the current state of the roster. Our current cap allocation, according to Spotrack, because it's changed since I created my spreadsheets, I'm looking at the linebacker class, and right now they have eight players under contract. Uh, $25 million of the cap, representing 13.3%. Now, Chris, where do you think that ranks? Give me the percentage again. 13.3% of our cap is allocated to our linebacker group. Where do you think that ranks in the NFL? That's got to be uh, – seems like it's somewhere in the middle between like 12 and 18. 10th. 10th. Which, again, I think is interesting because if you look at last year's roster – Think back to that. <laughs> Think back to what we did. Our linebacker group last year, I remember going into the season saying it was the only position that I would that, that just absolutely terrified me because we had no depth. And sure enough, that reared its ugly head by the end of week one. We were down two linebackers. One was nicked up. One was out. And Milano came off the field and we had A.J. Klein playing in coverage with uh, what? Uh, Terrell Dodson? Playing next to him, maybe. But then we found out uh, we found out a use for AJ Klein that was better, yeah. like the Seattle game. Yeah, well, they they figured it out, but our depth immediately got exposed as being subpar. And so it's interesting seeing that they've spent that much money at the position. It's like Chris. It's almost like we have a GM who learns his lesson from one season to the next. Yeah, it's refreshing. I've got to say that. So as we run down the current prospects on our roster and the current guys holding down jobs. It starts with your de facto starters. I, oh, guys, I think we can call starters, Chris. Milano, Edmonds, and Klein. Uh, Edmonds is a physical freak who has all the potential in the world given his rare physical traits. I mean, he's got elite size for the linebacker position, elite foot speed, and the ability to drop into coverage pretty fluidly. His size 
it also makes him a threat when he comes on blitzes in the A-gap, something that the Bills love showing pre-snap with both our weak side and middle side linebacker lined up in the A-gap on the shoulders of our defensive tackles. But with that said, he hasn't always played as big as he is. And he'll at times flash the play diagnosis and recognition issues that, I mean, there was a reason that he fell in the first round of that draft behind Roquan Smith the linebacker out of Georgia, who eventually went to the Chicago Bears. For being a two-time pro bowler, he's often maligned as just being okay by fans, which if you look at his statistics from last year, a lot of that bears out. His development into this season could be key for this team and for him, but it's also worth noting he's one of the youngest players in the entire NFL. There, There aren't many kids at the age of 23 who are entering their fourth NFL season. I, that seems crazy, right? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I mean, there's guys who are going to get drafted this year who are the same age as Tremaine Edmonds is now. Yeah, and we haven't picked up his fifth-year option yet. Well, they have until May 3rd, and that's going to be one of our talking points with tonight's guest. Matt Milano, the newly minted Money Milano, after his recent extension, is one of the NFL's premier talents at weak side linebacker. There's very few players, I I think, in the NFL who have his level of play recognition, whether it be at the line of scrimmage, in coverage, the ability to drop into coverage or attack the line of scrimmage. I think Brett Coleman laid it out best. He said the thing that makes Milano so valuable to what the Bills do on defense is that he can start at the back of the, the, the front seven box almost to the point where you think he's playing where a shallow safety would be. And yet if the, uh, if the team runs the ball, if their opponent runs the football, his, his recognition skills and his ability to diagnose and come downhill quickly, it's so good that he can still attack the line of scrimmage and disrupt running plays while still playing from depth, which is something our safeties do a great job of too. And between... The three of them, Hyde, Poyer, and Milano, they give teams fits in terms of pre-snap looks, in terms of what they can accomplish in confusing a quarterback, in terms of what they can do even if they tip their hand pre-snap, they can still get to spots that other players can't. And that's what makes Milano so special. And Klein, Klein's one of the three players the Bills signed to try and replace the production that they got from Lorenzo Alexander. And yes, there was three players that they had to sign to try to replace the Lorax. And his first campaign with the Bills was, I think, fair to say, up and down. Yeah. I mean, you just alluded to it. Yeah, we didn't. It, it took a minute for the Bills to find his exact use. And then I think it came alive in that Seattle game. Oh, for sure. It took them till about, what, what was that game? Week nine? Week yeah, 10? week eight, nine. Eight, somewhere nine. in the middle. It took them until that point to really figure out how to best utilize his skill set. And it, I mean, not for nothing, it also seemed to coincide with them saying, okay, we're not going to try to have Matt Milano in and out of the lineup. We're going we're gonna to sit him. We're going to sit him for a considerable amount of time. And we're going to allow – that's when you can call up depth options. And you saw the way they'd scheme their defense no longer be dependent on A.J. Klein trying to fill a standard weak side linebacker role, which is something he's grossly miscast for. 
I think he improved, but he's still not someone that you ever want to see manning that role again. And Brandon Bean made it, I think, clear that he feels the same way with the way he fleshed out the rest of the roster. That's uh, Dodson and Adams come next. Uh, the Terrells, as I'm sure they'll come to be known. And when I think about that, I'm picturing them wearing like gold lame and sequins, like <laughs> with pips in the background, like Gladys Knight. <laughs> <laughs> But they make up the first layer of linebacker depth that this team has built this offseason. Dodson wasn't terrible, I don't think, as a spot starter in 2020, which is the first action of his NFL career. He was able to illustrate his ability to lay a hit, specifically in that first uh, Week 2 game against the Dolphins. In the first half of that game, he was fantastic. He was physical. He, he tracked well when it came to... Uh, chasing down running plays out of nickel formations. He did really well, and then they started picking on him a little bit in the second half when they realized where his weaknesses were. But he showed a little bit better in coverage than I think he got credit for coming out in the draft. And he's still raw, but there's upside to Dodson to like, even though his most natural position would probably be, I think, strong side linebacker, instead of stepping in for Tremaine Edmonds at middle linebacker. Terrell Adams, he might be the most interesting addition of the entire offseason to this group to me. By contrast to Dodson, he's got a ton of NFL experience, five years of it. And last season, he was the, was the first of his career where he was on one roster for the entire season with a full 16-game slate with 12 starts. And he responded 125 tackles, two sacks, and five tackles for loss. He's athletic enough to be a true 4-3 weak side linebacker. And he projects as a pretty sound tackler who you can utilize as part of the pass rush. All things that would make him a much better option to fill in for Matt Milano should he miss more time than any singular option we had on the roster in 2020. As the lay fan, that has to make you feel better already about the direction of that position group. Yeah, it's almost like they're taking that same uh, offensive line approach that we've had with the one-year deals of... uh but Kelly and Forrest Lamp, you know, they got games under their belt, but spot starting. Yeah. So you're starting to apply that to other positions. And like you, you said need, last but, year. But you need talented depth. Yeah. You need guys who you, again, it's one of those things like Brandon Bean said when he talked about the NFL uh, caliber offensive lineman, when he had that quote, he's proven it by signing a ton of offensive linemen off the street who have played in the NFL before rather than sinking significant draft capital into the offensive line. Linebacker, I mean, Milano was a fifth-round draft pick that I think was drafted before he got here. Yeah, 17. Tremaine Edmonds in the first round, I mean, that's a swing. But since then, you took Voshan Joseph in the fifth, and you picked up Dodson as a free agent. You picked up Delshawn Phillips as an undrafted free agent. They haven't really spent draft capital at the position. So it's interesting seeing them flesh it out with guys like Markel Lee and Terrell Adams to try to give themselves a layer of protection, knowing here's a floor that no rookie coming in off the bench or very few rookies, unless I took them in the first round and maybe not even then. I have I know I have a floor of production at the NFL level that I can trust. That's valuable. That has merit. And then you've got Medikevich, Markel Lee, and Andre Smith. These are three experienced special teams options who, despite not having much to look at in terms of starts or tape, they're going to ensure that there's a robust competition at training camp for who locks down special teams jobs. 
I think our special teams units with these guys alone, I mean, the fact that uh, Smith is here on a two-year deal after playing here last year. Markel Lee is a very good special teamer. Matikevich took a pay cut to stay. I think that these three guys are pretty much, I don't want to say locks, but I don't, it's going to be hard for a younger player to unseat them from a special teams unit. I mean, you've seen how long Taiwan Jones has hung around the NFL just purely based on special teams. Yeah, he knows he's not going to be a good running back in the offense. So if you want to, you know, get a paycheck by the NFL, you know, these know, guys, know that special teams is your your way to a consistent NFL paycheck. And excel at it. And that's what he's done. And so have these guys to a certain degree. And that's why they're here. So I like that, that even on special teams and as emergency depth, we even, we, we even have bodies in case that becomes a thing. So that becomes, that leaves us here with draft philosophy. Now, like I said, went on record last preseason and stated that of all the position groups, that 2020 linebacker group scared the shit out of me. It, it looked awful on paper, and it was even worse watching it in real time playing out. I mean, it was almost like it was to mock me. That the football gods saw fit to just bestow a slew of linebacker injuries, exposing that lack of depth. You should never see A.J. Klein and Terrell Dodson together trying to drop into nickel coverage for you. That's an awful idea. So it's encouraging to see that this time around, Brandon Beans learned from that mistake. And he seems intent on making sure the Bills will have above adequate linebacker depth heading into the preseason process. We're going to need them to draft a linebacker because you and I have a Seagram's bet. I know. That, a line, that I think a linebacker gets drafted. Okay. Well, with that in mind, the path to a linebacker in the draft for Buffalo this year is kind of murky. And it's very much tied, I think, to what they believe is possible in retaining Tremaine Edmonds and what they believe they need from the strong side linebacker position moving forward. I think if the team believes they can afford to pick up the fifth-year option on Edmonds and Allen simultaneously... I can imagine you won't see much of an effort made at the middle linebacker position here in the draft. I believe that they have the cap space, and ultimately, given that they traded up to get Tremaine Edmonds in the first round, and just by his age alone, he's, he's yet to truly enter his prime years. So getting an extension done with a talent like that, that you believed in enough that you traded up to get him, would make sense. Strong side linebacker, on the other hand, is a place the team could, in fact, be looking to try to upgrade. And after 2021, we won't have anyone on the roster capable of playing the Lorenzo Klein role in our front seven. It's possible that Dodgson shows enough that the team's comfortable putting a decision there off until the next draft in 2022. But for a defense like ours, Dodson is probably a career backup. And not somebody who, if you think you're a Super Bowl contender, you want seeing considerable numbers of snaps. So, <laughs> I mean, especially not if you want someone as a pass rush presence, right? I mean, they found out that Klein's best usage was when they brought him down to the line of scrimmage and would use him as an extra rusher. I don't think Dodson's a fit for that role. I don't want to see him doing it all the time. And I think that even if they did deploy that, you could get by with it if you're an an average to a better than average. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. ...football team. But again, if you think that you're a contender... Terrell Dodson is not a starter for you in any position. So with that in mind, there's work that they're going to have to do on some of these fronts here. I think if the right value presents itself in either place, the Bills could be swayed to pull the trigger. So we crack a fresh one and introduce Rookie to the Rockpile Report podcast, Mr. EJ Snyder, one half of the Bootleg Football Podcast. How are you doing tonight, sir? I am fantastic, Drew. Thanks for having me. I've got two questions. How are you doing and what are you drinking? Oh, this is familiar. Yeah. I feel right at home in the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, I'm fantastic. It's the most wonderful time of the year. The draft is coming up. Uh, I'm a little short on sleep, but that's not anything new for the last three or four months. And uh, I am drinking an Elysian Men's Room Red because I grabbed it. I just finished uh, work on my end and grabbed that because it was at the front of the fridge. Uh, <laughs> but it'll do. It'll do. See, those of you who may not know, EJ Snyder, co-host of the Bootleg Football Podcast. If you're not downloading it, you're missing out. This isn't hyperbole. It's one of the few sports podcasts that I don't miss. I make time for it every every time it airs. He's a draft analyst for Windy City Gridiron, which I want to apologize in advance. I mean, we're looking at the video shot. You have a lot of Bears memorabilia in the background. We have made a number of jokes at the expense of your fan base this season. You just, are not alone. Just in terms of you guys having a front office that seems like it enjoys antagonizing you. Like well, as you fans. Know, now you have Trubisky, so one yeah. less thing for us to worry about. We, we we have Trubisky and you have Andy Dalton, and it just seems like the like the world doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. <laughs> a happening? little bit less, but no, I as a Bears fan, I certainly uh, have developed a thick skin. And yes, the front office not my favorite place right now. Uh, not inhabited by my favorite set of decision makers. Uh, but, you know, George has decided to retain them. So we will go with his, uh, we'll just call it eminent wisdom. Eminent and wisdom. Uh, we'll talk about the Bills who are in a much happier state, which, you know, this is this is vicarious vacation for me. I get to talk about a franchise that's actually trending in the upward direction. See, Chris, isn't it nice to hear from a guest for once? This yeah. might be the savor it because it might be the first and only time it ever happens during the life cycle of our podcast. And it's funny because EJ has his own ties to Buffalo and upstate New York. Isn't that right, sir? Absolutely. So my dad's entire, my entire dad's side of the family, Buffalo born and raised. So all my uncles and aunts, Buffalo, all my first cousins born in Buffalo, went to school in Buffalo, uh, spent Thanksgiving and 4th of July in Buffalo just about every year until I was out of high school. Um, love the area of the country. I, I'm from upstate New York, just south of Ithaca, so about four hours away from you guys. 
And uh, Buffalo holds a very special place in my heart. I love it. I love Chris, draft guy, long-suffering football team. <laughs> here to talk yeah, to us. They can relate. I love it. Let's, let's get into this, the meat and potatoes of why we're here tonight. Class makeup of the linebacker group. When you look at these guys, in terms of overall value and depth, does this? How do you feel like this linebacker class fares against other linebacker classes historically? Yeah, it's always a tough question to answer because one of the most interesting things about the draft, in general, regardless of position, is that each draft is a snapshot, and and people love to ask this question and debate this question. Hey, is this class of quarterbacks better than last year? Is this class yes. of linebackers, you know, less talented or more talented, deeper, or not as deep? And the answer is you got the picks you got and you got the players you got. And for the most part, you can't push them forward or, or recall them into the, you know, into the past. You, you have to pick the group that's in front of you. So overall, it's a pretty strong group. Maybe a little bit less outside linebacker depth up high, a little, little more talent or a little bit more depth farther down. And inside, maybe a tick less top-heavy than last year. We had some pretty high-profile linebackers last year. Inside, we've got some of those. And it feels like more different sort of depth role players farther on down. Overall, it's a solid class. It's a fun class. It's got some playmakers. I think has some players that will surprise, which is always fun. So I've had a lot of fun looking at them. See, when I, when I think about this question, here's what I'm formulating in my mind. I think about 2020's rookie crop, rookie crop of linebackers, and I think that they struggled a little bit in their first NFL campaigns. Not all of them, but some of them, which can be a byproduct of both complicated offensive schemes the NFL employs and maybe just the overall talent level not being as high as was believed pre-draft. I mean, you think back to the 2020 group. Simmons gets taken number eight, <laughs> comes out week one, has a horrific week one as a start. He gets beat up and down the field. He gives up a touchdown in coverage. He, he looks out of place and then didn't play more than 29% of the snaps in any game until week 10. They essentially said, wait a minute, Rook. Okay, we threw you into the fire. You're not ready. Now you're essentially a backup until the tail end of the season. Let's bring you back in and see what you've learned. Patrick Queen. Another guy drafted in the first round by the Ravens was viewed by one of our frequent uh, in-season guests, just based on the number of times we've played the Ravens, Ken McCusick over at Ravens Film Study. He said he's wholly lost in pass defense. He said he plays coverage as if he just assumes the safeties have anything he's not paying attention to. So he just lets guys run past him. In his defense, he was from LSU, so he was right in college when he assumed that. That's fair, because you're playing with DBU. When you're playing in the NFL for as good as they might be, the offensive talent's better. <laughs> you can't just abandon your safeties in coverage. But Patrick Queen was doing it. And at this point, they don't know what he is long-term in that regard. If he's a true three-down linebacker. Kenneth Murray probably had the most impressive season, and he was one of the guys taking the latest out of that top tier of linebackers. And that was just based on volume, not because he was overwhelmingly impactful. He just got the most starts and the most opportunities to make plays. So 
with that in mind, you think about the Kenneth Murrays of the world. He was allowed. He he played a lot of games. He racked up some statistics, and on paper, he looks like the most impactful guy. But that doesn't mean any of these guys are going to hit the ground running out of the gate. Out of this crop, who do you expect to hit the ground running, and who are some of the prospects that are more highly touted that you think need some seasoning, kind of like Justin Simmons did? Yeah, it's a great question and a tremendous observation, and it has a lot to do with the point that I think a lot of people sell short or just plain old don't think about, certainly don't lend enough weight to, which is landing spot is everything. And a lot of people think about that with the quarterback position uh, because we think of the quarterback position, I think, rightfully as very complicated, one of the most complicated in sports, most impactful position in sports overall. And there's a lot to pick up. Very few people expect a quarterback to come in week one, rookie or not, and, and start doing things. Linebacker, running back. There's a couple other positions where people go, hey, you can just rely on your athleticism, right? Fill your gap. Well, that used to be the case when it was just being a downhill linebacker, right? What was your run responsibility? What was your gap fit? You could start showing those athletic gifts a lot sooner. In the modern NFL, linebackers have transitioned. The position's been devalued, and now it's going backwards, just like you said with Patrick Queen, as much as it is going forward and making those TFLs, the run blitzes, everything else. So there's a lot to pick up. It's not that much different in the modern NFL than being a slot corner, right? You can cover any number of players coming out of any number of alignments. You can go forward and back on any play. So Simmons is a great case in point. He came out week one. He was a high pick. They wanted to show him off. And we had said on bootleg all along, whoever drafts Simmons better have a plan and it better be pretty focused because there's a question. Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? Is he a rusher? Because he has all those elements to his game. But we were like, they better limit it as a rookie and give him a thin slice and let him master that. And then you can let him start to freelance. Well, they kind of didn't. <laughs> he was kind of all <laughs> they over the place. They kind of whiffed on that. And then they went, as you said, they pulled him back in and said, all right, too much too soon. And the cool thing about Simmons is from that sort of week 10 reemergence, he kind of came out of his cocoon and he started to make those plays. He started to have impact. It wasn't volume like Murray, wasn't as many plays, but he started to make impact plays almost every week, even in limited action. So again, they, they limited his role, focused him up, and all of a sudden you started to see the athlete come out because now he could, quote unquote, play fast. He could he could be sure of what he was supposed to do on a given play, this or that, and just go do it. And look, the guy's really good at that. So in terms of this year's class, ready to go right away, I look at a guy like Pete Werner out of Ohio State. Yeah, very good athlete, but also sort of did all those things for Ohio State. Moves laterally very well. He can rush. He's not a great blitzer, but he's a good blitzer, and he's very good in pass coverage. So a guy that's sort of done it in what I would consider a pro-style defense, that's a bit of a misnomer. But he's had a lot of varying responsibilities. He's not one of those guys that's had a single lineup responsibility in college. So I look at a guy like Pete Werner, who might not be one of the top five guys drafted in the linebacker class, but he is one of those guys that could come on and play very well very soon. If you're talking about guys that have a really high ceiling but need some seasoning, Micah Parsons out of Penn State. Now, Micah Parsons is a converted defensive end. He was a one-roll guy, and he still plays linebacker a little bit like a one-roll guy. See, he's one of the more polarizing prospects because you have guys who talk about Micah Parsons. He's an upper, upper half of the first-round prospect. And then you talk to some people, and they say, well, he 
he probably belongs just based on talent and scheme adaptability, probably somewhere in the lower end of the draft. And what do you more believe to be true? Well, he's a he's an absolutely top tier athlete. I mean, Micah Parsons is an exceptional athletic talent. Um, you know, he's the third linebacker in this class. If you're talking about RAS, I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with. Oh the yeah, no, we, score. We, I actually built because of COVID. I was stuck in a room for ten days. Oh, you told me about this. Yeah, and I built a RAS database of every Bills draft pick under our current GM. And then a depth chart of everybody who's played under our current head coach. Man. Because that's I, that's how I staved off. Like, it was like the movie The Shining. If I didn't keep my <laughs> fingers busy and I didn't keep the typewriter going, somebody was going to come bring me a drink. And next thing you know, I was going to be chopping down doors with axes. Yeah, there's going to be an axe. Okay. No. So Micah Parsons RAS scored 9.59. A tremendous athlete. Ridiculously quick at his size. Um, it's so for that alone, the NFL is an athletic potential league, right? They look at guys and they go, I can fix them, right? If they yes. can run that fast and they're that big, I can fix them. And Micah Parsons is not a I can fix him, but I can expand him. I can expand his horizons. He won't be a gap shooter. He won't be a run blitzer. He won't be this, you know, guy that's almost defensive end size and runs at track star speed. He'll be a guy that I can use and flex and cover maybe, oh, I don't know, move tight ends because he has the athleticism to do it, but he doesn't have that experience. So it's all about landing spot. And you talked about Kenneth Murray. I was actually low on Kenneth Murray last year because some of his play <laughs> at Oklahoma was. Uh, oh, yeah. No, he got great. he got beat up. But, but yeah. there again, and you guys he, play he in he the did things like shoot gaps that weren't there and run into the back of his defensive lineman. Yeah, but you guys also, um, you know, like, you're talking about a guy who plays in the, I, I think I've seen it referred to as the Star Wars conference, because you're just like, all it is is TIE fighters, just TIE fighters and X-Wings just flying around, shooting at each other. There's no line. <laughs> there's, there's, you have a good offensive lines. You have powerful offensive lines. I mean, uh, you know who can speak to that, Chris? Justin Yulberg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listener Yulberg. He got, he, he got manhandled by the Oklahoma offensive line. During his time in college. Um, but what you've seen now is this that whole conference has degenerated into flag football. It's just passing it's and seven passing. On, it's seven on seven, and it's seven on seven with some of the best athletes yes. in the world. Like if you look at of course. You know, Texas and Oklahoma, like Texas this year, full of athletes, all their guys, the safeties, the the linebackers, the defensive, the defensive tackles way up in the RAS scores. Like those yep. Texas has no problem or you know getting as many athletes as they want. It's about how that athleticism translates and one of the reasons Murray did so well when he got to I was gonna say San Diego. I was gonna do it. Los <laughs> Angeles is because Los Angeles has a very good idea of what they need to do with their linebackers. And yes. they put them in a very defined role. They they tend to draft guys on down on. I wasn't big on Perryman. They drafted Perryman. Perryman's done pretty well. Wasn't big on Murray. They drafted Murray. Murray's done pretty well. There's a reason. Their defensive coaching staff understands what to do with all the athleticism at linebacker. That's one of the reasons Murray's done so well is the landing spot. Now, Chris, Matt Milano was a fifth-round draft pick. He was a converted safety to linebacker. He fell to the fifth round because teams didn't know what to do with him. Teams were just like, oh, I don't know what he is. I don't know if he's a real linebacker or if he's just a super slow, slow safety. 
And instead, he's become <laughs> one of the premier weak side linebackers in football. So to your point, just sometimes you can overlook a guy, but based on landing spot, he's more valuable. In this, yeah, we're going to talk about a guy like that later yes. in this podcast. But I, <laughs> oh, I, I, know you're, I know you're itching to yeah. get to it. Yeah, for sure. Just taking a sip of this uh, birthday whiskey. Oh, birthday whiskey. What kind? Uh, Hudson Whiskey, New York, called Do the Rye Thing. Uh, <laughs> we have a tradition here on the podcast where Chris. Uh, yeah, well, you started it a couple years ago, but uh, yeah, birthday whiskey. Uh, you got me Maker's Mark a couple years ago. That's like my go-to whiskey. And for, for you, I just get him something that I know he's not going to buy at the store, but is in his price range. So <laughs> no, no, it's not about price range. It's about don't buy anything in a plastic bottle. You have I, to you have to sign up for an AA meeting if you're drinking something whiskey out of a plastic bottle. That's the rule. Oh, is that concurrent or do we roll that back? <laughs> current, like current. Okay, okay. When you're right, then yeah. I'm 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 clear. So but so that's awesome. I'm glad that you got some birthday whiskey and, in, and something in this local year, too. In this year's crop, more three four or four three linebacker talent. Oh, this is where I got to take you to school. 4-3 and 3-4 is dead. Hate to tell you. Okay, no, uh, and this is what I love. How interchangeable have have these designations become? Hand up or hand down? Okay, so that's it. That, that's that's it. the designation. Like, that's the only thing that matters? I, I, I'm sure that any defensive coaches who have been schooled up in the last 20 years are going to argue with me. But if you look at the current NFL and you look at a player who is an edge player in this draft, so not, you know, again, is he linebacker? Is he an edge player? I, I transition to defensive line, meaning, you know, guys that play on the interior that are pretty close to 300 pounds or edge about two years ago in my rankings because it became very difficult to say, is it a 245-pound DE for a 4-3 system or is he a 245-pound outside linebacker in a 3-4? Well, the, he's an edge player. He plays on the edge, and the difference largely between 3-4 and 4-3 is hand up or hand down. And a lot of the four three guys don't put their hand down anymore, so even that's going. See, and it's just there is no fit. It's all just weird. So, so it sounds like what you're prepping me for is this conversation about these prospects in terms of it's all about fit, and it's all about how you use them. So, with that in mind, when we talk about Bill's specifics, one of the biggest storylines about our football team. I appreciate that Chris has finally stopped running the water. I love I love that our podcast is not professional at all. Like, well, I think we, it's professional. It's just real life. Right? Well, this is it, though. This is it. we're just a couple guys who like to booze and talk sports. And well, so, that sounds very familiar to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's why I love what you guys do because it's the same except with smarter people. <laughs> Arguably, now, now, no. But here's what I'll say: Chris has better hair than both of you. I mean, mm. I mean, look at it EJ. easily. No, I no. He easily. has a quaff. Not even, not even close. I, I can't keep up with that. <laughs> and I have the longest arms in in podcasting. I think. Oh man, <laughs> I can't I keep up with that either. I'm feeling like I need to come up with a superpower. No, here. we're talking about uh, my. Oh yeah, no, we've talked about it with uh, Russ Brown a couple weeks ago. We talked about how my ape index. Yes, you, the ape index. I'm a 1.08. Yeah, that's higher than Muhammad Ali, Chase Young, Makai Becton. Like, I, there's a whole Michael list of Phelps. NFL players. Oh, man. Yeah, so my, you're reaching the glasses and the whiskey off the top shelf. Yeah. No, I can touch my knees standing upright. It's great. 
It's fantastic. <laughs> but so there's something to be said for everybody. We all bring something to the table. You guys are like a smarter version of what we do. And I love yeah, it. That's well, why I go. love I'll the theme the of your show. So when I'm looking at this now, I think about storylines that have been kind of hanging around the Buffalo Bills. And the biggest one has been Tremaine Edmonds. And as we already flirted with the idea of you have a complicated relationship with Tremaine Edmonds, pre-draft from a draft analyst standpoint, he has a fifth-year option decision that's going to be due on May 3rd, the day, within days of the draft finalizing. Mm -hmm. There was a, a tweet by Sal Capaccio that I'm looking at right now, covers the Buffalo Bills for WGR 550, that says, Brandon Bean says the Bills will wait until after the draft to have a final decision on the fifth-year options for both Tremaine Edmonds and Josh Allen. Yep. The deadline is May 3rd, the day after the draft concludes. Mm -hmm. Here's a question. I mean, because he breaks it down. Bean said the salary cap will play a part in figuring this out since it probably won't go up much in 2022. It will cost the Bills about $35 million for the two players that season, Josh Allen and Tremaine, both playing on fifth-year options, if they pick them both up and there's no extensions that change those cap hits. So with that in mind, we've reached a place where somehow Tremaine Edmonds, despite all these things that he has going for him, he's, I mean, he's a kid who's just right now with... Chris, what is this, three seasons of NFL experience under his belt? Dude, he's like 22. He's going to be the same age as some kids who are just now getting drafted. And he's made oh, yeah. and he's made two Pro Bowls in that time. Which you Pro Bowl, I mean, you can take that for what it's worth. The Brickshaw Ferguson was winning those late into his career when he was a sack. He was a sack of shit. Nobody liked that guy. He, he was terrible. But he was still winning them. But the point is, he's been viewed as an impactful player. <sighs> To go into a season knowing that that's up in the air, there exists this possibility that the Buffalo Bills might be, just out of necessity, having to move away from him. Now, based on your knowledge of him and his young age and his athletic profile, is there anyone in this draft class that you'd rank as being a potential replacement with similar upside? It's a really good question because Edmonds was all upside. Uh, He was such an amazing athlete. And when he lined it up in college and it all worked, it was breathtaking. And when he used that athleticism to go to the wrong place twice as fast as anybody else, it was also breathtaking, but in a bad way. Um, So Edmonds was a guy that I was like, man, landing spot is going to be everything. And the reason that I would love to see Edmonds stay in Buffalo is because he has done the same thing on the defensive side of the ball that Allen has done on the offensive side of the ball. And that is incredibly rare to get uh, a tremendous athlete at a position and to coach them up to where they are now doing that. I had questions about Edmonds at the beginning of this season. Turns out he was hurt, still nursing an injury. When he started to come back for that, again, second half of the season, same time you were talking about Simmons coming on in Arizona, like all of a sudden you got to see Tremaine Edmonds with his head screwed on right and his full athletic potential. And that guy is a tremendous difference maker. There's not many like him. Uh, Where would you, so it'd be hard to see him go. Well, here's a question. Where would you rank Edmonds? Because here's the thing I keep seeing among bills fans. And this is, this is going to involve a player that I know you love. I I heard so on one of your recent podcasts and I can't wait to pick your brain about him because he was the lead into tonight's show. 
But where would Edmonds rank among this year's four three middle linebacker crop, in your opinion? Yeah. So if we're calling him that off ball or interior linebacker, again, I'm going to rank him as I would have ranked him coming out of Virginia Tech, and I would say like third. Again, because he's not developed. But if you take the current version of Edmonds, who has that three years of pro development and is now has now harnessed all those gifts exactly how you hoped he might, that's a completely different player. There's nobody at that level in this draft. Okay, and that's what I both want, things. And that's what I want Bills fans to understand. There's no fix for Tremaine Edmonds. You're not going to draft a guy in the first round this year who's going to come in and be better than what Tremaine Edmonds is right now. Certainly not within the Bills' defense, and that's the other thing is scheme is important. Well, landing spot is important, but scheme familiarity, you're still learning a scheme. Nobody in college is running the Bills' scheme. They might be running something close. They might have terminology that's similar. They might have assignments that are similar. But again, nobody is running their scheme, so there's that adjustment period. I don't care how smart you are. You know, defensive signal caller, team captain, all that stuff. That's great, but there is still going to be an adjustment period for rookies. I don't care how good you are. Jermaine Edmonds is already there. Like, he's going to walk into the building like King of the Jungle and go, I got it. I know what I'm doing. I'm back to full health. Forget it. Nobody's bumping that guy off the pedestal because, look, nobody's got better physical skills than he does. And he has the familiarity of playing in the defense for three years. Not even your draft crush, Zayvon Collins? Zayvon Collins is nearly as talented physically as Edmonds. He is very, very close. I would say Edmonds is a touch quicker on the trigger, and Edmonds is a little bit smaller, but not much. We're talking about a handful of pounds. I love Zayvon Collins, and I will unabashedly say so on any podcast we go on. Uh, my podcast partner is a little more hesitant because of scheme. Tulsa's scheme is a, is a bit different than the average pro scheme, and he's wondering about adaptation as Zayvon Collins moves from college to the NFL. I don't worry about that as much because Zayvon Collins is a tremendous athlete. I posted something on Twitter this week um, with Zayvon Collins as player A, and a bunch of stats from player B. And they are, for the first four or five down the line, they're the same height. They're within one pound in weight. (laughs) They (laughs) jumped within one inch on the vertical jump. They were within a tenth of a second on the uh, 20-yard shuttle. Like, it was line for line, same. And I said, great, who's player B? And fortunately, some people listened to my podcast, which I really do appreciate. Somebody (laughs) jumped in and said, Brian Erlach. And I was like, that's right. Zayvon Collins reminds me very much physically of a young Brian Erlacher, and there's a good reason. His physical profile is very, very similar. Now, Erlacher was a touch faster, about a tenth faster in the 40. Um, but coming out of college, again, not the all-pro Brian, you know, not the Hall of Fame Brian Erlacher, but coming out of New Mexico State or New Mexico Lobos program, like you're talking about a guy that physically matches up and it's funny, proximity-wise, how close he is to David Collins at Tulsa. Uh, you know, two guys that are basically two sides of the same coin. Collins is an amazingly talented linebacker. I love his prospects in the pros. So pivoting here, the Bills have drafted and are on their way to retaining two of the most athletic linebackers in the NFL already. You've got, uh, <laughs> you've got Tremaine Edmonds, who we just talked about. You've got Matt Milano who's locked up long-term, or at least, I guess, long-term for what the new NFL is. 
what is it, a, a four-year deal with outs after year two and into year three and so on and so forth. Considering the amount of nickel we run, it kind of devalues what a Sam linebacker can provide and where I think this team would prioritize drafting a player with that kind of limited skill set. But just because their coverage abilities and the fact that we run a ton of nickel devalues Sam doesn't mean that you don't want one. I mean, we've been paying a Sam linebacker. We've been paying for it for years. Chris, Rex Ryan brought in... uh, Brought in Lorenzo Alexander to be an outside linebacker for us back in, what, 2016? Because 2015, his first year, he had Manny Lawson. He brought in Lorenzo Alexander. He makes the Pro Bowl. (laughs) He makes the Pro Bowl with nine sacks, a ton of plays behind the line of scrimmage, and then converts to kind of a Sam linebacker who can also play 60% of your special team snaps, who also... Add something a little bit in coverage. Not a ton, but a little bit. He was multifaceted. Enough so that our team had to go out and get three different players to try to make up for him when he left. Uh And it didn't work out as well as we would have liked. So there's a value there. And we're currently paying it to A.J. Klein. I think this year our Sam linebacker is going to make $6 million. And he's going to play 40 to 50% of the snaps, maybe. Maybe if you're lucky. Maybe if you're lucky. Maybe if teams decide they have to run the ball against us, which I I don't think anyone does. I don't think anyone decides, hey, let's run the ball against the Bills because that's smart. I mean, Pete Carroll, that's it. Pete Carroll. Yeah, except it didn't work for him in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Couldn't kept a ring off Tom Brady's finger, but he couldn't figure out how to run it then. Now he wants to talk about being a run for, oh, you just touched, you hit a nerve. Yeah, like, yeah, I ah. just dropped that match in the powder keg right there. That's oh, awesome. Oh, I could go on a whole rant about that, but I'm going to spare our listeners and you. I'm just, <laughs> What's the good part? I'm just an angry man. But here's what I'll say. We need to move on from paying that Sam linebacker position if there's any hope of retaining Tremaine Edmonds long-term under the fifth-year option and on into an extension. Sure. So when you look at that side of the class and who you think fits that role in a 4-3 defense, who are some of your your favorite prospects? Yeah, and it's about that role. You talked about what would eventually happen to that role in Buffalo, and it became three things. It became a pass rusher. It became a special team standout, you know, three, four phase special teamer and somebody that had limited coverage ability. If you're talking about somebody as a value coming out lower in the draft, you're going to have to sort of pick two (laughs) out of that list. And it's most likely going to be rushing and special teams, because if they can rush and cover, that's not going to be a value. and You're going to have to pick them up high. But there are those guys. So if you're looking for somebody that's solely going forward, because what you're describing as a, as a Sam linebacker, a strong side linebacker, really is just an outside rusher. You can call yes. it 4-3, you can call it whatever. It's a guy going forward. He's a pass rusher. And you said that's what Lorenzo came in as. That's what, you know, he made. He almost well, made that's when we started getting value out of A.J. Klein. I mean, we were paying him $6 million last year. And I would have, I said at the time, Chris had thrown his back out. And I said, I would trust Chris with a butterfly net in coverage with his thrown out back more than AJ Klein <laughs> dropping good, good as, a, as a nickel linebacker. I don't want yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. 
So with that in mind, they, around the time that we played the Seahawks, they realized we need to deploy him near the line of scrimmage. Let him be. Let him beat up on tight ends. <laughs> let him be a yeah, pass rusher. Yeah, well, the thing that happened was defensive, you know, the, the defensive stance of how you're using A.J. Klein was just bait for offensive coordinators. Yes. And they were like, oh, they're going to drop Klein in coverage? Who do we have on him? Yes. No, throw the ball to him. Who throw can we throw him. over there? Yeah, no, throw the ball to him. Like, you know, whoever we have on Klein, like which guy, like which route? No, whoever Klein covers, throw that ball. It's There's a simple. touchdown like, pass against Miami in week two where both A.J. Klein and Tyrell Dodson are both diving to try to swat the ball out of the air, and they're miles behind it. And yeah, there's no. just a there's just a tight end, Mike Isecki, just in the end zone. Yeah, don't uh, don't don't try and do that. So if we're looking for somebody, let's just let's just focus on the go forward part because that's the part you've seen value from, and that's the part that's sort of easier to assess as a single skill set. And if you're talking about up high, that guy is Aziz Ojolari out of Georgia, right? Bit undersized, about two fifty ish, maybe two sixty on a good day. Uh, but he's the guy with bend and burst, the classic sort of edge appreciator. But he is not, you know, he's not huge. He's not going to take on too many tackles straight up. He's going to try and run around them, you know, get a long arm and dip under them with speed, with bend. And he's one of the premier guys in this class for that. But because of that, there's going to be a draft premium on him. He's going to go up high because he fits lots of systems. That's sort of a uh, system agnostic skill, right? Rush the passer with bend and burst. Well, I don't care what system you're running. <laughs> like, if you can beat people that way, yes. there's a role for you in the league. So that would be a, a higher pick than they might want to spend for a for a solo skill. He's not great in coverage, by the way, but not a Seeing surprise. that said. Um, if you're going to go down a little bit, um, if, you know, We'll stay with just the rusher. I, I really like Buffalo's own Malcolm Koontz, right? I think Malcolm Koontz is an underrated player. He has a couple of moves that he uses in unison, uh, which is this sort of what I would call a long arm dump and rip. And he basically stacks people with a very good, strong, long arm, starts to push them. And as they push back, he just collapses the arm and dips his shoulder and gets underneath him in one smooth move. Um, when that move fires when that move works it's mesmerizing the tackles just kind of fold over forward he slips underneath him and then he wreaks havoc in the backfield so i like coots a lot and he's he's scheduled to go a lot later down depends on which board you look at but nowhere before the 150 mark and sometimes as late as the 210 220 mark so there's a guy that you could get that's got that forward skill plus he's a tough guy he sets the edge pretty well he's a good run defender I'm not going to drop Koontz in pass coverage. I've seen it. I don't want to do it, um, much like A.J. Klein's pass coverage. And then if you want that guy in the middle that can do a lot of both, I'd say a guy like Baron Browning out of Ohio State. He's a tremendous athlete, ridiculous RAS, like 998, something like that. And he can go forward. He can go backward. His thing is injuries. He had a little bit of trouble with injuries and staying on the field at Ohio State, but is a guy that can flex out and cover a tight end. There's a great rep in his tape where he goes out and one of the best tight ends in this draft, Pat Fryermuth. They run Pat Fryermuth out to the boundary, and instead of dropping a safety or a corner on him, literally Baron Browning is the guy on coverage. And it's in the red zone. They throw the fade. He's on the boundary side. They throw the fade side to Fryermouth. He goes back and knocks the ball away. Gets a PBU in the end zone. There you he go. looks like a DB. So that's a more versatile skill set. He's going to go. It depends on the injury tolerance. But if you want sort of that, hey, can rush, can cover, definitely has the wheels to get to the quarterback, but isn't going to look terrible in short zone coverage, that's a guy like Baron Browning. 
So there's a couple players that I specifically just, I have crushes on because I watch football. <laughs> just, I'm human. I develop my own unnuanced. I mean, we were talking off air that I thought that, uh, I thought Brian uh, Mallett. Mallett was going to change the face of how quarterback got played. And Landry Jones. And I loved Landry Jones. I thought Landry Jones was going to be someone, <laughs> some team's savior. So that speaks to my draft acumen. Here's some guys I like, and I just want your opinion. Joseph Asai out of Texas and Monty Rice out of uh, Georgia. What do you think of them just as prospects? Yeah, we talked about Texas getting athletes and having no trouble doing that. Osai fits into that category uh, roundly, soundly, however you'd like to say that. Great athlete, lots of hustle, really keeps with it, doesn't give up on plays. I always like to see that in a guy that's largely going forward, which is Osai's role. They don't drop him in coverage a lot. Um, his hand use, what I call ball vision, the ability to sort of not drop for fakes and, and go for the right guy in terms of rushing into the backfield, leverage, counter moves, those all need development. He's raw in those areas, right? You see the athleticism, you see the power. And when he beats people, it's those things. It's the power and the speed. But all the nuances that are going to make him a good pro, somebody's going to have to develop. So if he, if Joseph Osai lands in a place where they know how to develop defensive line, where they know how to develop edge rushers, you know, a place like mm, Pittsburgh, a place yes. like Los Angeles Chargers. A place not like um, Buffalo because we're – Yeah, <laughs> a place like Minnesota, right? Daniil Hunter is a guy that, again, famously had a great athletic profile, very little production in college, and now he's Daniil Hunter. So if Osai ends up as a later-round pick in one of those places, look out. If he ends up at a place where they don't really develop defensive line very well – um, or a dressers, uh, he, he could struggle. Monty Rice, this kid, you, I'm looking at your write-up to me. Smooth player, really good eyes for the ball. He's like an owl, but his head never moves, just tracks. I, I, I will say that that sounds like a nice developmental weak side linebacker in a 4-3. Ken, I, I don't love him in pass coverage. Okay, he's, see, that's... <laughs> He tested well, which is this is one of those things, right? He tested well. He should athletically be able to cover the pass, but that doesn't translate to football skill, right? And Monty Rice is a very skilled football player, and where he's most skilled is that classic linebacking role of he has an innate ability to sift and sort and sort of float through the trash. You think he should just get mashed, but he never gets touched. And what I meant by an owl is if you've ever seen an owl fly, right, the head stays still and everything else moves until they hit the mouse. Monty Rice is like that with ball carriers. He never loses. I talked about ball vision with with Joseph Osai. Monty Rice has got some of the best ball vision in this class. He always knows where that guy is and is moving towards him. He's a good enough athlete that he shifts through. Very good tackler. He's not sudden, which is weird because his testing says that he has really good get off. On the field, he sort of builds speed, but he's 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 a smooth strider, which is odd for a linebacker. We usually talk about that with wide receivers or safeties, um, but he gets there. He's sort of deceptive. He has a deceptive speed to him. He's fast, but it doesn't look like he's fast. He doesn't have those short, choppy steps, um, but very heavy tackler. He is a classic linebacker. When he arrives, you are not going to mistake him for a safety. So in terms of development, if you think you can get him to track a little bit better in the pass game, he's very good in the short passing game out to about the numbers, 
you know, uh, tracking running backs on screens, uh, blowing up bubble screens, stuff like that. But if you ask him to actually start covering, say, wheel routes or Texas routes, eh, not sure I love him there. If you think you can develop a little bit more of that acumen in him, then, yeah, he'd be a great player to take a chance on. Chris, do you know who that sounds like? Do you remember when I was fist pumping, when we did our live draft show day two with Doug Roloski, my friend, who's just a CO, like he's just a CO who <laughs> happened to come talk draft with us, and we took Reggie Ragland in the second round. Oh, yeah, round. you lost your mind. I thought that was the greatest linebacker pick in Bill's history. <sighs> Ragland had more pass limitations, but he was he was bigger against the run. The other thing about Monty Rice is he's good size, but he isn't great. The thing I loved about Ragland coming out was he was a guy that could literally take on like most tackles straight up and, you know, stack and shed and make a run stop. And that's a diminishing skill as we ask these linebackers to move backwards, diagnose more pass, keep up with slot receivers. What they're losing to be able to do that is that ability to just stand up head on head with an offensive lineman, stack and shed and make the tackle. There's less linebackers that have the mass to do that. And here's the last guy I'll bring up. And it's probably one of the most volatile names in the Bills community. I've seen it on social media where people have advocated for the Bills trading up to draft this player. And he's like a man of no country. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to hope that I'm saying this correctly. I'm going to take a sip of whiskey first. That's always a good step. (laughs) Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Oh, you nailed it. Yes. You nailed it. That is smart, Chris. That's right. This guy. <laughs> that is 10-10. You nailed that. That's he, awesome. He's a so, linebacker. He's a safety. He's a who knows what. He's one of the few guys that I'm going to bring up on multiple draft podcasts for mm-hmm. positional groups because I don't know what the hell he is. He seems like this guy who can play this hybrid you know, people keep talking about the importance of a big nickel for the mm-hmm. Buffalo Bills defense. Yep. And I understand what that term represents, but here's what I'll say. In my time watching the way the Bills have built their teams and the snap counts they've doled out, they've had plenty of opportunities to deploy a big nickel, and they've passed on it. They've chosen to give, this past year, they gave Teron Johnson way more run than they've ever, and he's a small slot corner. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, I don't know how much big nickel they, I mean, what he saw 80 targets. Part of that is just his part of like in his previous seasons, he saw 49 and 41. Then he sees 80. Part of that is him being targeted because Trey White's very good. Part of that. <laughs> yes, he is. Part of that is him being on the field more often. For sure. So what that says is they're okay with playing a small nickel cornerback. So when I see this talk about how this Owusu oh, Koromora guy might be our answer at weak side linebacker and nickel corner and all of these things, it just, I go, I don't know if the team would do that. Where, well, what, what that's the his- thing, right? We just talked about that with another guy, Simmons, right? And that was the thing is we pick a role, right? Is he a safety is he a linebacker? Is he a rush edge? Like he can do all those things athletically, but what is he in our system? And you've brought up a really good point with the Bills that in past, unless they're going to change, they haven't done that a lot. 
So is he a fit for the system? And and where I would say he is, is if you want to run that sort of more traditional 4-3, if you want something that looks more like that alignment, the three on the other side of Milano is JOK, right? And then you've got a guy that you're completely comfortable with going all the way down the seam with a fast tight end, honestly, with some slot receivers, a guy that you're comfortable with rushing off the edge, maybe out of a wide nine if you slip him up there, or absolutely on any run blitz you can think of because he is an explosive player that just brings the chaos, and in a good way. I mean, (laughs) brings the chaos for the offense from a defensive perspective without laying out too many of the vulnerabilities. So JOK is sort of the ultimate modern matchup weapon. And here's the question. When you look at a team like Buffalo and how we're currently constructed – This team is built this season to go win something or at least compete for something. So if you were ever going to take a stab, I mean, I know Brandon Bean made some comments today about how (laughs) the the pick that they take at 30 is going to be viewed toward. We're looking for the we're looking towards the future. Yeah, yeah. That can mean a lot of things. That can mean sure. a lot of things. And there's a lot of bullshit that gets thrown around in draft season. Oh, we a little bit. But what you could do, if you're a team like Buffalo, who has a roster that's going to be very hard for rookies to make in the first place, you could be the team that says, hey, I don't care if I have to move up to get this guy. Maybe he's that disruptive piece I add as a rookie and I sprinkle in here and there. Because I don't have a traditional pass rush. My defensive line is old and young in all the wrong places. Maybe I get this guy who I can just throw out there to be a disruptor for me. And that might be the thing they view as a key component to key a run somewhere here. Or differentiate themselves from maybe that's the way they get over the Kansas City hump. They view it as a linebacker who can do these weird things that Koromoa does. Where do you think they'd have to go to get him? That's the unfortunate part. Bill's sitting at 30, correct? Yeah. Yep. Sitting at 30. So they're gonna have to they're gonna have to cut that in half. They're gonna have to get up 18, 17, somewhere. I mean, he could go as early as like 15. Uh it he could he honestly he could go earlier than that if somebody really fell in love with him. But I think he really starts to heat up around fifteen. And he's probably gone by twenty twenty two at the early. So they're gonna have to make a significant trade up. I don't disagree that they might say, Hey, this is the spark and if we believe that the road goes through Kansas City, we need a Kelsey eraser. Right? We need a guy we can put on Travis Kelsey that can go step for step down the seam with him. And JOK can do that. And free up a Matt Milano to continue taking away some of the other weapons that that offense has. Oh, for sure. If you want to spy somebody like CEH or you want to make sure that, uh, you know, uh, Mahomes doesn't have an easy 10 yards up the middle. Yep. You leave Milano on him and you leave JOK on Travis Kelsey. See, and this is where this position is incredibly interesting for Bills fans. Now, what do you have? I, this is why I love your analysis because you, EJ, you don't. I feel like you don't get enough credit. You're underappreciated in this draft community. After listening to the bootleg for as long as I have, 
I, I also love that you call your listeners bootleggers. Like, that's, that's a the best thing ever. That was one of the first things that came up the weekend we made the podcast. It was like, what are we going to call it? We came up with a, we, you know, we're just throwing names at the board, trying to figure something out. And like, bootleg came around. We were both like, it was one of the first ones we. That's pretty cool. And like five minutes later, it was like, and <laughs> we there can have no, bootleggers. You yeah. can have fellow bootleggers. I love yeah. it because there's a lot of there's a lot of podcasts that try to give their listeners nicknames. We're not one of them because we're just hacks. At the end of the day, we're just hacks. Like that. But they appreciate us for that. We are yeah. the layman's podcast. I appreciate you for that. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. What do you have coming up, and what do you guys over at Bootleg have coming up in the run-up to the draft? Oh, boy. Great question. Tons of content. So we just dropped an interview with Danny Kelly on Sunday of the Ringer, uh, along with our, well, my first annual ball of clay list, which is all the crazy athletes in the draft that might get picked up later uh, who have tremendous physical potential. Uh, we've got a couple more interviews coming out. I, I dumped it on Twitter today, so it's okay to say it. We've got one coming up with Mark Schofield, uh, somebody you're probably familiar with, great oh, yeah. quarterback analyst uh, for the Touchdown Wire, USA Today, works with Doug Farrar. Um, so, uh, does a little podcast about a rival team. Sorry about that, but no interview with Schofield was tremendous. Uh, one of the most fun times Brett and I have had interviewing anybody. We basically made an agenda, uh, asked one question and then burned it to the ground and just talked ball for 90 minutes. And it was so much fun. So that'll drop a little bit later this week. And then we've got a mystery guest for next week from the draft community who is at the top of the game. And uh, had a great conversation with him, recorded that earlier this week, and that'll drop uh, early in the week of the draft itself. Then we've got a live stream uh, Wednesday night just to kind of blow off steam with all said bootleggers. And then we really get into the main event, which is the draft live stream, something we kind of did on a whim last year where we said maybe we'll just drop in for like an hour first round see if anybody shows up we ended up doing 18 hours of live streaming during three days of the draft so we're going to try and recreate that little stunt this year uh with a lot more uh attention and planning so we will be on live on bootleg all three days of the draft uh and looking forward to that and then we've got some fun stuff lined up for after that as well so uh doing that uh we just dropped uh two episodes well as of tomorrow it'll be two episodes at bears over beers which is my other podcast on Windy city uh and then lots of appearances with folks like you guys and and just around the sort of draft community doing draft live streams and mock drafts uh it's pretty much wall-to-wall until this thing actually happens and then we pass out E.J. Snyder, he is a part of the Bootleg Football Podcast with our friend of the show, Brett Coleman. E.J. Snyder's on Twitter at the Draftsman FB. I love that we find a way just to irritate Doug Flutie. Just to irritate it, just to work that in yeah. to every show. It's amazing. Hey, cheers. Yeah, since I don't have <laughs> alcohol. We're getting down to the wire as we narrow down the position groups and get closer to the draft. Hopefully you got something out of this show. Check out tomorrow night's show, or tonight's, depending on when you're listening to this, featuring Cover One's newest edition, Anthony Prohaska, as we take a look at the 2021 cornerback class through a Buffalo Bills lens. It's arguably my 1B position of need for the Buffalo Bills. If I had to create a numerical hierarchy, it's my 1B. I think it's important. I think most Bills Mafia agree with you. I'm looking forward to explaining why. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to hashing through this group because there's some real opportunity for this team to become more competitive in multiple facets. 
simply by addressing this one group. Hopefully you'll tune in for it. Guys, this has been great, but we're going to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was EJ Snyder. And this has been your Rock Bell Report. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.